Welcome to NHASCD Spotlight. It's our podcast from the New Hampshire Association for Supervision and Curriculum Development. My name is Bill Carroza, Executive Director. Want to remind you, coming up March 22nd, not far from now, we have our big K Math Conference featuring uh, Steve Linewan, Kristen Hilty, Graham Fletcher, Carolyn Worcester, and Kevin Mahoney in cooperation with the New Hampshire Teachers of Mathematics. We have a new session uh, right now, though, for this, a signature session at the end of the day. Uh, converse, collaborate, and connect. You'll meet your colleagues from your grade level to discuss your learning for the day. Hang out with some of the speakers, too. Register today. Uh, we're starting to get some good uh, registrations, so register today at New Hampshire ASCD. Dot org. Well, my guest today, pretty excited about this one, is Robert Jackson. He has a fascinating and compelling uh, life story for sure. We'll hear all about it. He began his teaching career in the Indianapolis public schools a couple decades ago, not to give away his age, but uh, after being cut from the Minnesota Vikings of the NFL, he's the first professional ball player I've had football player, baseball player, any player I've had on the podcast. I'm pretty excited about that. Since then, Robert has created his No Excuses curriculum. We'll talk about that. He's the author of five books, including um, Becoming the Educator They Need, Strategies, Mindsets, and Beliefs for Supporting Male, Black, and Latino Students. He has a um, an organization where he does a lot of consulting, works with students who have experienced trauma. He speaks on teaching cultural diversity, restorative practices, He's the recipient of the 2019 Alpha Foundation National Motiva Motivational Educator of the Year. And also, we'll talk about this if we get a chance. Robert, uh, your latest book is for Mothers Raising Sons, but we'll talk about that in a little bit, too. So. It's actually book number seven. But number seven. Oh, my goodness. You are prolific, my friend. So, uh, Robert, thanks for joining us today on, on the podcast. Well, thank you. I appreciate you having me. I'm excited to be here. Shout out to New Hampshire. <laughs> Have you been up here before? Uh, I, I haven't been up to New Hampshire. No, yeah. I haven't. So. You've been to Boston, though, so we're not, we're not far away, yeah, right? Yeah, I've been to Boston. Yeah. Times. My future daughter-in-law is a huge, and her dad, few, a huge Minnesota Vikings fans. So exactly. when I tell her you, you were on the podcast, I think she'll she'll like that a lot. Even though I got cut, I was in training camp with the Vikings and uh, back in the mid-90s. So I got a chance to play with Warren Moon and Chris oh. Carter, some of those oh. Hall of Famers. So that was pretty neat. Great players. Great players. Well, you know, uh, as I read the intro to uh, the book, Becoming the Educator They Need, you begin with a, a story of a 16-year-old friend who was a shooting victim. I mean, compelling stuff. You didn't know your father. You lived in poverty. You were a victim of abuse. Where did you find the resilience to become, obviously, a star high school, college athlete, and then leading to a brief career in the NFL and, and your work now? Well, I think it comes from within. You have a fire in you that you want something different. Um, you may not know how to get there. Uh, we have a lot of kids that we work with on a daily basis who are being torn down because of, you know, outside uh, forces, whether it's uh, community stuff, family, um, you know, uh, school, not being diverse. Um, but at the end of the day, if you want to be successful, you got to keep going and you got to push through the adversity and you got to persevere. So I always had a fire in me to be successful. So when the NFL didn't work out, when other things I wanted to do didn't work out, I pivoted and moved to plan B, plan C, plan e, plan D, E, and F. You know, so, um, yeah, I've been dealt some bad cards, but I played the cards I was dealt. And I think everybody's been dealt some life experiences, um, but your response, it's up to you. I decided every morning I'm going to wake up um, in the spirit of joy, 
and and keeping God in the forefront of my life. Mm-hmm. And with him, anything is possible. And um, so not only did I learn how to persevere and become successful, I've also been blessed with the opportunity to go back and and talk to other young people and teach them how to overcome obstacles to be the best version of themselves and educators, working with educators, working with administrators, uh, working with parents. There's no playbook to being a parent. You know, uh, we all have made mistakes, but we got to push through those mistakes. So uh, working with educators, administrators, parents and students have become my life and my life's mission. And you got to find out what that passion is for you and follow your passion and everything else will work itself out. Now, being cut from the Vikings must have been traumatic. I mean, obviously, you were blessed with athletic gifts. You probably thought, I've made training camp. I'm catching passes or getting handoffs from Warren Moon. I mean, this is great stuff, right? And then you were cut, which, you know, obviously, thousands of people have been cut from NFL teams. What led you to want to be a teacher and then later teaching in the Indianapolis schools? Well, um, I ran into an old friend of mine and and colleague um, and Dr. Eugene White. And they were saying that they needed a um, industrial arts teacher. I was in transition. I had hurt my knee uh, playing football. So I was trying to rehabilitate my knee. And during that rehabilitation, I said, why not go back and teach at the same high school I got kicked out of? So so I went back to teach and coach and uh, you want to make God laugh? Tell him your plans, you know, because one week yeah. turned into two weeks, turned into two yeah. years, turned into several years of being in education, 28 to be exact. Uh, that means I started when I was 10. So um, got a chance to work with so many educators, so many students, but I felt like I could make a bigger impact by teaching, by training, um, giving keynote addresses, empowering educators to give their best to kids. The number one stress for kids is school and peer pressure. And I wanted educators to understand, no, kids are not trying to come to school to stress you out, but kids are coming to school stressed out. So I have made a career from it. And I take the same preparation that I did in playing sports into the profession I'm in now, Um, the hard work um, that I put in and playing sports. And no, I was not born the best athlete. I grew up with all girls in my house. I didn't really have a whole lot of friends to play with. So um, I just learned how to outwork people. And I'm going to be the hardest worker in the room no matter what. I got made fun of for running harder and lifting weights harder and all that. But eventually, I was the MVP. Eventually, I was the best player on that team. So um, those things helped me, uh, propel me to where I am today. Are there some lessons educators can learn from your sports from the sports world, from your work in making it all the way to the NFL? Well, it's a lot of things you can learn because there's a lot of things that don't require you to have talent. You know, even though I made it to the pinnacle in sports, but giving effort doesn't require you to have talent. Doing extra, uh, being coachable, uh, your passion doesn't require you to have talent. Your attitude, which will determine your altitude, your energy, <laughs> um, discipline, all that stuff doesn't require you to have talent but it does require you to care and have something in you that's saying, I'm going to push harder, but in order for me to push harder, I got to love myself and I got to take better care of myself. I got to understand the value of the position I've been put in to help minister to these young people. And I think a lot of educators don't understand their power. I have a workshop called um, Activate Your Power. 
educate, activate, motivate kids to be great because we all have the power to be great. And I think Josh, uh, I can't remember his last name, Josh Gibbs, I think, said every kid is one caring adult away from being a success story. Every oh, kid. Yeah. A lot of research, what parents want is one caring adult in their kids' lives in addition to you know their parents. It's pretty important. Yeah, I was going to say, let's dig into your work a little bit. Talk about the uh, the No More Excuses uh, curriculum and how that works and and who would benefit from it. Well, I think my model uh, speaks for itself. For every problem, there's a solution. I don't care what the problem is. For every problem, there's a solution. So I found myself making excuses about growing up in poverty, making excuses about not having a father, making excuses about all the pitfalls in my life and not understanding and, and realizing that those pitfalls made me who I am today, how I persevered. It's not how you get knocked down. It's how you get up. And the way that I've used utilized it today in my career is, is simple. You know, no excuses for everything. I mean, for every problem, there's a solution. So all my books have the no more excuses emblem on them, except for the ASCD book, which is still no excuses, uh, becoming the educator they need, mindset strategies and beliefs for supporting our male, black and Latino students. Um, that's just my motto. That's my whole mantra is the no excuses, um, whether it's kids standing up to be responsible, no more excuses, the workbook for boys and girls. We got the mothers raising sons. Um, even as parents, we're going to make mistakes, but we can't continue to make excuses. You got to apologize. You got to repent. You got to move on. So that's my whole model. And I'm working with educators, parents, students, administrators with a no excuses uh, attitude in everything that we do. We talked before I hit record about how New Hampshire is, is not the most ethnically diverse <laughs> state in the really. in the country, right? <laughs> but as our cities, Manchester, Concord, Nashua, uh, certainly have a higher level of, of diversity for sure. Talk about how a teacher, perhaps a traditional uh, New Hampshire teacher who suddenly finds themselves working in one of the cities with a diverse classroom, actually like my daughter used to have, she taught in Manchester for many years. What advice do you have for anyone starting to teach kids of color? How might you line up your strategies maybe a little bit differently for those kids of diversity? Well, do some research. And the biggest research you can do is talking to kids instead of judging and watching what you see on TV or listen to something that your uncle told you or your mom and dad told you. Instead of doing that, sit down with a child and talk to them. Ask them about their interests. Um, just because somebody looks similar to somebody don't mean that they're alike. Uh, we got to stop you know, stereotyping our kids. There are four tips to managing your biases. Number one is your word choice. And you have to be careful with the words that you use, because words have the ability to build up, but they also have the ability to tear down. Number two is avoid stereotyping. Just because a kid is growing up in poverty don't mean they can't be a success story. we got to stop judging kids by where they are and speaking them where we want them to go. So word choice, avoid stereotyping. And number three is consider your intentions. Do you want your kids to be successful? Well, you got to speak it. Your actions should line up with your words and what you say. And last but not least, number four is focus on the impact. What kind of impact do you want to make with kids? Because there are six core values of connection. And as an educator, we have to understand that the number one value of connection is love. And then you got trust, fairness, support, accountability, safety. That's how you connect with kids. 
love. And it starts with self-love. You know, you got to love yourself and you have to love what you do. And you don't have to like your kids every day, but you love them every day. I mean, I have three children and sometimes they do things and you don't like them every day, but you love them every day. Those are your children. So love starts with self-love, loving your students. A love is a choice. I say it's a choice. And we have to choose to love, trust and fairness and support and accountability and, and safety. And safety is not just in the physical sense, but doing a better job of protecting the psychological, spiritual and emotional well-being of our children. That's yeah. how you can. In looking at um, the NAEP scores throughout the country uh, over the last heck, couple decades, the National Assessment of Educational Progress, and they disaggregate by ethnicity, obviously. Black boys are really struggling academically, to be specific and looking at specific group. What can we do as a country to really reach out? I mean, obviously, this is societal. It involves politics, it involves values, it involves so many things. I look at those numbers and I say, we're not doing a good job for this specific disaggregated group. What, what do we do, Robert? Well, the number one thing that you do is we got to start setting high expectations for our children, whether they black, brown, white, green, it don't matter. Right. We have to set high expectations, but more importantly, we need to expect them to do well. I don't want you to treat me any different than you treat anybody else. If this white guy can learn, this young black kid can learn. Right. You know, you and, and if I'm having trouble, then give me the resources. Um, there's a difference between being socially economically disadvantaged and being economically advantaged. Um you know, we have kids who don't have the resources, but are expected to do the same as their white counterparts. That's not fair. You know, if you have different resources, that's almost like me going out to play football with no equipment. Right. But everybody's got their helmets. Everybody got the shoulder pads. Everybody had their 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 pads and their pants, which most athletes don't wear them anymore. But they at least got the shoulder pads and the helmet. So you want me to go out here and play full contact with no helmet and no shoulder pads. We got to stop stripping our kids of resources, but we expect them to compete with everybody else. And that happens quite often in these red line neighborhoods like I grew up in. Uh, we expected to have high test scores and to excel in this. Well, I had to get up for school at five in the morning when my counterparts didn't get up till 630 or seven. You know, that's an extra hour and a half that I would have had to sleep, but I had to take an hour to get to school. So we got to start keeping those things in mind and understanding that some of these statistics are not uh, correct. Um, we have 2% of black people committing violent crimes. That means 98% aren't, right. but the news will have you believe that 98% are committing violent crimes. 90% um, of, of blacks kill blacks, but guess what? 85% of white people kill white people and 87% of Hispanics kill Hispanics, Right. There's, there's, I can tell you this, there are some uh, low, uh, low minded people that are committing violent crimes in every race and ignorance don't have a color. And I think in order for us to combat this problem, we got to start setting high expectations for our kids. Because when we lower your expectations and um, with kids, you're hurting them. You hurt kids when you lower expectations, because now you're telling me that I can't compete and I can't um read and I can't do these things like everybody else. Like when I was in fifth grade, when I was bused to this all white suburban school from my inner city school, they put us all in remedial classes. They put us all in special ed. I remember. Yeah. Said I was a good student. I'm good at math. I love math. 
and we do them flashcards. I'm boom, boom, boom. <laughs> you know, I know my math and I'm good at reading and some of these other things. But now psychologically, I've taken a hit because now all these folks that don't look like me are in advanced classes. I'm in remedial classes. Now I got to test my way out. Psychologically, that can be damaging for 11 year old or for a 10 year old. Or then once you start getting kicked out of school so much, and that's that's what I'm saying. I look at it as objective versus subjective. Somebody brings a gun, knife, assault somebody, they should be kicked out of school. We got to start troubleshooting some of these problems. Somebody come in with a bad attitude or somebody coming in with, um, you know, body language. I mean, you know, we can, you know, or disrespect. We need to find what disrespect is across the board. Too many kids are being kicked out for trivial reasons. And when you kicked out of school, you fall further behind. And when you fall behind, you get embarrassed. Kids drop out physically in high school, but they drop out mentally in elementary and middle school. You travel the country a lot and you do some keynote addresses and talking to people. What are you hearing these days in, you know, in 2023, 20, 2024 about the state of education, you know, regards to diversity issues, but perhaps uh, in general, we're at an interesting time post pandemic. Well, you know, I think it's a disconnect still between uh, educators, parents and students and um, parents are, are complaining about teachers. Teachers are complaining about students Students are complaining about parents and teachers, you know, it did, and it comes down to uh, getting a better understanding of each other. You know, I'm I'm 52 years old, you know, so I, I didn't grow up with a cell phone, but I still made it. You know, we got kids who are growing up in technology now. And as adults, we have to understand the stress that that puts on kids growing up with all this technology and Instagram and you got Snapchat and you got YouTube and you know, you you got you know what everybody's thinking at every moment of the day. You know, I, I think it's important for us to bridge that gap and understand that does cause stress uh, with young people, and we have to meet them where they are. Yeah. And I'm gonna say that again: we have to meet these young people where they are, and if we really care about them, we got to stop trying to throw our values on them and give them suggestions. But they got to make their own decisions. And they got to do things their way. And I do that with my son. You know, he's a grown man. He's graduated from college, but he's got to make better decisions. And if he make a bad decision, he's got to understand consequences. And you learn that through life. But we have to give them that blueprint. But we have to find out where they are and we have to meet them where they are so we can give them the things that they need and the tools they need to be successful. I'd love to hear your impetus for writing for Mothers Raising Sons. Yeah, this is... um. This, this book is near and dear to me. And, um, you know, I think the, the book speaks for itself. This me and my mom on there. I was in college on that picture. Yeah. A young, handsome guy. So uh, <laughs> I, I was raised by all women. And there's a lot of women who are raising young men. Yep. And I wanted to give them some kind of blueprint for the mothers who are raising sons. Some of the chapters are uh, treating young sons like grown men, mama's boy. You're his mother, not his father. Effective communication with your son. Emotional intelligence. That means managing your emotions while managing his. Uh, establishing respect in your household. How boys and men think is a very important chapter for, for our ladies to understand. Choose the one who would choose your son. Don't make, you, don't make him choose between you and her. He's going to choose her. Sex, puberty, and relationships. Coping with the other women in his life. 
His dreams are not your dreams, which is extremely important. And lastly, is take care of yourself, self-care. So, um, like I said, being raised by um, a single parent uh, in poverty, um, I wanted to give some kind of guide and blueprint for mothers who are dealing with that same situation. You're single for whatever reason, or you may be married. You may be in a committed relationship, but it doesn't mean that you are giving your son what he needs to be successful. So I wanted to give them some strategies that work and a um, little humor through there, some stories and some amongst some other things. But more importantly, when I was on the radio show yesterday um, and those mothers calling in, so many mothers who are trying to understand their sons. And the first thing moms want to do is I did this for you. I did that for you. I did this. That's fine. But that's not what I'm addressing. I'm addressing this. And we got to make sure that we understand by being quiet and listening. So that was the premise of me writing that book. Your mom must have been an amazing woman or is an amazing woman. She is. Um, she's still around. She's uh, she's almost 73 now. And uh, she was an amazing woman and she did an amazing job raising five kids by herself. But here's some things where she could have done differently that would have helped in this area. So it's, it's just constructive criticism and uh, praise at the same time. And uh, just pushing moms. And, and like I said, it's not just for single mothers. This book is for anyone who has a child or any teacher who's working with male students. I think it'd be a nice guide for them. Hey, your wife is involved in a similar work as as you. What, what does she do? She's way more advanced than me. <laughs> uh, so uh, my wife. Good, good call, man. Yeah, she's been a best-selling author for many years. Uh, her first uh, book were, was the poetry book. Um, and then she wrote Sorority Sisters. And she's written a couple of Essence best-selling novels. So um, she's been working on her movie script. Uh, for her new movie, she's um, done a musical with her uh, book, Hand Me Down Heartache. She's about to do the musical again in Atlanta. It was successful in Indianapolis, Indiana, where we used to live. We live in Atlanta now. So she's working on that project. And lately, she's been doing some speaking. She's been working with um, young ladies and um, building that. And we both have a, we have a foundation uh, we have a 501c3 called Speaking Truth and Never Doubting Unlimited Potential. It's called Stand Up Incorporated. And we do a conference every year. Uh, last year, we were at Morehouse College. Uh, we had about 500 kids, both young men and young women, came in to do workshops, life skills, mental health, awareness, dressing for success, um, the importance of education. And then we gave away 20 scholarships. Um, last year, Mike Vick, uh, NFL great Mike Vick was one of the speakers, along with uh, actress Jasmine Burke. And we're doing a conference again this year, June 3rd, uh, 2024 at Morehouse College. Uh, anybody want to make donations? We always taking donations to our 501c3. Um, all the money that comes in goes right back out in the community. So my wife is keeping busy uh, with her projects. I'm trying not to bug her too much about mine. I know she has a lot of things going on and I support her and what she does. Um, but I'm excited about uh, the possibilities and especially with the new movie uh, coming out. But she's her musical Hand Me Down Heartache. She's putting that in production again. So here in Atlanta. So she's been busy with that as well. We'll make sure we include uh, in the show notes some of her great work as, uh, as well. Well, we know we can't predict the future, 
we know that from both of our lives. I can tell you stories about that for sure. But as best you can, what what does the future hold, do you think? And what are you planning, uh, Robert, for the future? Well, the biggest thing is I want to continue to train and motivate. Um, I think it's important. You got to know when to get off the stage. And, um, you know, it's, it's time to pass that baton on to others. So I've been training uh, former students I've had in class through the years who are now you know, principals, principal supervisors. I'm training them to do this work. Um, and we have a 501c3. Uh, I'm going to continue to uh, pour into that program and try to empower our kids to be better kids and our parents to be better parents, our educators to be better educators. And we have a training coming up in May um, for teaching those who want to learn how to present. They want to learn how to speak. They want to learn how to write books and all that kind mm -hmm. of stuff. I'm having a two-day seminar in Atlanta, so I'm excited about that. And I'm going to start doing more training and um, so I can get home. Uh, I've been on the road for several years and been away from my family. Um, I have scaled back on the presentations. I don't do as many as I used to, uh, but I want to make them impactful. So this platform does work for me because I can still be home <laughs> and still get the message across. I think you still can feel the energy and and, and everything with this platform. Um, but want to continue to empower our next generation along with empowering our administrators and giving them energy, empowering our teachers, empowering parents, empowering students. Uh, this is my life. I've made it a lifestyle, um, but I am going to scale back and start doing more trainings. And I'm excited about that. Well, every life has different chapters. I write a few more books too. You know, so, yeah, you could do that from home. Yeah, I want to write an ASCD. Um, I wrote this book for ASCD. They've been in contact with me about, okay, now it's time for part two. So, because right. um, now the mother's raising sons is out. I'm excited about that. And um, so it's time to go to the next project. Robert Jackson, author of the book, Becoming the Educator They Need, Strategies, Mindsets, and Beliefs for Supporting Male, Black, and Latino Students, as well as the latest book for Mothers Raising Sons. Thanks for being our guest today. Yeah, I appreciate you having me and, um, you know, wishing you well. And we're going to continue to push through and do this work. Hope we can work together in the future at some point. Absolutely. Look forward Thank to it. Well, our mission at NHASCD is to serve as a catalyst for conversation and action to inspire excellence in teaching, learning and leading. You can find links to much of what we talked about right here in the in the show notes, also on our Spotify uh, podcast page. Uh, don't forget about our K Math Conference featuring Steve Linewan, Kristen Hilty, Graham Fletcher, and others. March 22nd, just register at nhascd.org. You can find us on Twitter, X, Facebook, and Instagram. I'm Bill Carosa, Executive Director, and we'll see you next time for New Hampshire ASCD Spotlight. Take care, everybody. Mm -hmm.